everyone to a new episode of the Haptics Club podcast. I am Ashley from Synaptics, and I'm joined by my Haptics crew, Manu from Unity, Brian from Sense Club, and Eric from Razor. The Haptics Club is a team of people that have a passion for haptics, and our goal is to raise awareness of all the amazing tech and people in the space and foster discussions around the subject. We, of course, have a website to thehapticsclub.com. We also have a blog you can check out, slash blog, and a store where you can get cool shirts, mugs, all those fun things at slash shop. Joining us today, such a pleasure, Manuel Cruz, currently the president of the Haptics Industry Forum, also chief scientist at Innovabot Labs, and formerly of Emergent Corporation. Manuel has developed so many haptic technologies in the medical, automotive, gaming, XR, mobility space, so many that we're excited to dive into. And that's led to over 250 US granted and pending patents in the areas of sensing, actuation, and control. So cool. Of course, we're going to start this off with a brief intro. We'll dive into air of expertise, and then we'll jump into the future of haptics, my favorite section. And of course, we'll cover challenges and opportunities in the haptics industry. Be sure to check out our website, thehapticsclub.com, to learn more about what we're up to next, um, some of our blog posts, all the amazing things we're doing, and for a peek in the, our upcoming guests. Last but not least, we would not be here without our sponsors. Um, for this episode, we have a special sponsor, Smart Haptics. They're an industry-leading haptics event, one of the very few. Uh, last year, Haptics Club recorded one of our very special end-of-the-year episodes there, which was a lot of fun, which we'll link. And of course, um, they've got an event coming up this year. It's actually next week, 5 to 6 of December in San Diego, California. Uh, you can use a coupon code HAPTICSEXTRA15 on their website um, to save 15%. And that's Smart Haptics, Smart dash hyphen, sorry, haptics.com. Uh, we'll link it. And of course, we want to thank Gruess um, Haptic uh, Competence Center. They're focused on customized vibrotactile technologies. They have a core competencies in uh, piezoelectrics, electromagnetic technologies for acoustic components and actuators. So check out all the amazing things our sponsor Gruess is doing at gruess.de. So thanks so much, you guys, for sponsoring. We appreciate it. We get our coffee. You keep us this recording going. Um, so we, we appreciate the support. But are you guys ready to talk about haptics? We want to jump right in, so I'm going to hand it to Manu. Let's do it. Thank you, Ashley. And Manuel, welcome to the Haptics Club again. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us today. And so for all the listeners out there, can you shortly tell us something about yourself? Yes. So I started my journey in haptics without knowing that I was going to be in this journey. I joined a lab that was nascent at the time that dealt with uh, high-performance actuators or high-performance systems that was at McGill under Professor Vincent Hayward. I did my master's and PhD with him, and then I decided to stay one more year doing some lateral skin stretch tactile displays. After that, I joined um, a small startup that Vincent Hayward um, launched here in Montreal called Haptic Technologies that was doing a two-degree of freedom haptic device. Very cool. He used actually that one to get his first uh, nature paper. I didn't participate much on that because uh, I was doing something else. But um, that company became what it was known as Immersion Canada. That was the R&D center or the research arm of Immersion Corporation that was located in, um, in California. I stay here for in my entire career life until last year that I uh, joined Innovobot. At Immersion, I did many things from programming firmware for force feedback devices and robotactile devices, then doing more innovation for mobile devices, automotive touch screens, touch pads, XR devices, and very cool innovation on actuation systems that never saw the light of commercial applications, but they are still out there that can be happening anytime now. 
Now at uh, InnovaBot Labs, I'm enjoying myself once again because I'm doing also cool research and applications. What we are trying to do at InnovaBot Labs is to collaborate with other companies to bring haptic products out in the market. Well, not necessarily just haptic products, HMI in general, but because of expertise is on haptics, that's what we are trying to push for. And we're having collaboration with other companies that lack this expertise, joining together in an open innovation model, bringing products to market. That's our main premise. Uh, the company itself, InnovaBot, is a, an innovation and investment company, uh, but I'm work. I, I'm working mostly on the innovation side, but also dealing with some of the uh, investment <clears throat> throughout the work that we do with other companies. So that's kind of where I am and what I have been in the last 25, 30 years. That's insane. And I have so much respect for you, not only as an old colleague, but someone that was my mentor also at Immersion. It was such a great time in my career personally. And I'm happy you mentioned also Vincent Hayward, which we also had the luck to have on our podcast earlier. Uh, great professor. So much knowledge. I don't even know where to start. We have to dig into this. So I think something very interesting in your background is the combination of the academia background and the industry background. And like you said, a lot of your work and research also never maybe even got the chance to see the light of day, but all that data exists there, people can leverage it. And so when you transitioned to InnovoBot, it was also beautiful to see like the growth of your own career. And something that I really resonate personally with is the tagline. So InnovoBot's tagline, correct me if I'm wrong, says, that it's fostering innovation across industries for the benefit of society. And especially right now with all the talks around ethical use for technology, whether it's AI, XR, but obviously haptics, you know, is still in the in the in the scene for that. So as an investment and innovation platform, how does that tagline resonate with you? Yes. Uh so you, you know, like everything, uh, we said once you have a robot, you can put a laser on it or a gun or something, right? So it is obvious that there are applications for any technology that is out there that can have beneficial or detrimental applications in in, in society. But the, the way we're doing uh, or approaching this is try to find something that can, like we said, benefit society. Uh, last year, we were working with a company that was making uh, <clears throat> um, LiDAR Mm -hmm. device for people, for, for people with impaired disabilities, uh, visual disabilities. Right. And we were helping them to develop the haptic language to navigate the environment. The application was very nice because it was not only looking at one area, and especially, but it was looking in front of it, like high and below. Like most applications just tell you just go front or side, but this was able to identify many things and through the haptic language, it could be helping these people to navigate better, like dock or, or move to the right, move to the side, right? So these type of applications are the ones that we're trying to enable and collaborate with people in order to bring that to the mass market. That's that's been our premise as well. Collaborate with companies that can that have cool technologies as well that can combine with haptics and bring that to the market. I, I just gave one application. There are others that are not perhaps as <clears throat> um that reflect that the benefit of society but if 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 we can bring also technologies to the mass market that can help bring more uh a better user experience we talk about that when we were at dimension a lot because you are an expert on that so i can i can't teach you much about that i just need to mention it but that's that's what we want we want to bring this better experience to the sense of touch and i i think we're doing it we're, we're working with touch pads 
for laptops. We're working on uh, touch screens for cars. We're also developing our own technologies for devices, for XR and for um, the, the PC industry in general. We're trying to bring that and that's on the side of haptics, but the company as a whole has been investing in other type of um, innovations. Uh, there is a company called Carbicrete that is uh, basically uses um, CO2 as the main ingredient to, to develop concrete. And this is an innovation that you can see immediately adding benefit to society because instead of producing this product or, or the CO2 is actually capturing and putting it into the product itself. So it's carbon negative. That in itself tells you that it's uh, it's it's going to benefit hugely and, and we're getting a good traction with that type of technologies. We're also looking at some medical applications using haptic feedback uh, that I cannot talk much about it because we're in the middle of working through that. But these are the type of things that we that we want to do with haptics, and we're getting traction, and hopefully we can continue doing this uh, in the coming years. I love that. So the second part of the tagline, I think you really said it well, is the premise that there is a better way to foster innovation that tackles critical social, industrial, and environmental challenges. And I think it's beautiful to see uh, the superhuman or the disabled part, how to help other people actually have better senses or actually have a better experience as a human being. So it's beautiful to see that haptics is not just the mechanical aspect or just to uh, be on the productivity side. There are real challenges that we can tackle now. And seeing that InnovoBot focuses on that is beautiful to hear. So with that, we'll transition to the area of expertise now with Ashley. Awesome. I think one of the questions a lot of people probably have is, you know, working within this kind of lab, doing all of these amazing projects, like what exactly are your responsibilities? Like what's your day to day? Like you come into the office, like what is a chief scientist role all about in terms of like a company that's really focused on creating new haptic experiences? Sure. Uh, so, so originally when I joined InnovaBot uh, Labs to create the HMI lab, the first order of business was to assemble a team. Uh, get engineers, uh, hire engineers, and helping them grow and and training them, mentor them in order to be good hapticians. Well, hapticians, because I don't think the, the, the good or bad it exists. It's, it's highly uh, perceptual, that, uh, that aspect. But I, I was in charge of assembling the team, helping the engineering team to become and understand better haptics, and oversee, in a day-to-day, -day, the development of the projects. That's uh, one of the responsibilities that I have is to grow the team and mentor the, the engineers. On the other side is collaborate with other companies and talk to them um, to work together and create these projects and, and address their needs from the business point of view. I, I'm not doing the, the business development myself. We have a people, very competent people at the, at the office, but I support their engagement with these companies in order to propose solutions to them. The, my technical background allows me to talk and identify the needs of the, of the customer and put them in a perspective that they can understand and that we can understand to put that in, in writing on a technical level, translating that from the customer to the engineers. So that's another of my responsibilities at the, at the, at the office. And I'm also trying to in a sense, evangelize my, uh, the, the world of haptics by trying to collaborate with academia 
with other industry uh, players. Uh, right now, like you said at the beginning in the intro, I'm the president of the Haptic Industry Forum. I'm super excited to be there because, um, and that's something that I'm going to talk about next week. Uh, there is still the need to, to bring everybody together and talk a common language when we're developing something, right? It, it, I see that one of the major problems in the haptics industry is the integration level. Uh, there's, I, I've seen many um, companies or not necessarily haptic companies, but other companies that want to use haptics, they think that it's as simple as putting an actuator attached to a surface and then you have a haptic environment, which is not true. You need to analyze exactly what is the end goal that you want to achieve, what are the conditions, the mechanical conditions that you have. There's many things that, that you need to identify. You know this as a, a UX researcher, uh, manual. Like you need to understand what the problem is, what is exactly what they want to achieve experientially. And from that, you need to develop the specifications that technically will make sense for that specific use case. And this is the part that is missing still in industry, understanding how the integration is going to happen. And I believe that's why it's, it's being fragmented. So, Part of my mission as well is to help this company or everybody to HIF as well, to have a common language, understand that there are needs that need to be uh, uh, solved and understand in, in order to bring haptic products to market. So um, those are the areas that I, I, I focus on my day-to-day -day, um, life here at InnovoBot. Thank you That's for that. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so we have another question about that. Where, what would you say are the challenges that you anticipate facing in the optics industry and how do you plan to overcome them? Well, as I was saying already, the, the integration part is something that is hugely missing. Uh, but also, uh, when HIFA started, one of the things that we wanted to say is that we wanted to create standards. But going through standards is going to take a long time and a lot of convincing from many companies in order to join and agree on something. I think there is a step before that that companies can go through in order to agree on something and have a common language of talking to each other. The treasure company, the amplifier company, the mechanical system company, uh, the sensing companies, and then the integrators that need to use all these parts in order to create a product. Right now, many companies are doing their own um, developments. And when an OEM asks for a solution, it's, it's very hard to see what is the difference between one and the other. It's hard to compare what solutions they're bringing because they're talking different language. They're presenting the solution in a different way. And, and it's, it, 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 is, it is hard to compare these solutions because there's no way of commonality of measuring those solutions. So we need to develop those. And at least the companies that are working on without being a standard agree that this is the way we're going to present information when someone is asking for a haptic product. So it's easy for them to identify and adopt it faster. And when different components are in play, they all talk the same language as well, the same specifications. So it's easier to put them together and bring them to market. Because right now everybody's talking in different 
direction is going in different directions, talking different languages. And that's, I think, detrimental to the entire haptics ecosystem. And I think we need to do better. And we're trying to do that through the haptics industry forum. There are some efforts in order to have that commonality in language and specifications. And hopefully we'll get to a point in which everybody agrees on that, or the major players or some of them, and we see traction that other people can join and contribute to this uh, effort that we're following in at HIV. I love that. So there is a real synergy between your role as the president of the Haptics Industry Forum and also your chief scientist role as InnovaBot Labs. And I mean, we already had that, um, I would say synergy from what you were already doing at Immersion. Let's talk a little bit about those last 22 years, which is insane amount of time in a company by nowadays standard, let's just say. So can you share with us some of the significant projects that you worked on during this time? Yes, uh, I think uh, going back to the original work that I did, I started programming force feedback devices, but it was a platform that Immersion had already established for the gaming industry. And we wanted to extrapolate that to other industries like uh, medical simulation. Uh, so I work on that, but the I would say the most significant one was when I, I switched to starting working on vibrotactile devices. And we're talking about 2002, mm -hmm. around, right? Um, and I, I came straight out of the university, started working there. And in academia, the way I saw it, at least my, might be my perspective, not everybody's, but that's how I see it. Everybody was working on these cool applications of force feedback, right? There were only a few people working with vibrotactile systems. And so when I was going to this conference, they were asking me, what are you working on? I was like, oh, I'm working on vibrotactile, but it was like vibrotactile, like, what is that? What are you working on that? The cool thing is force feedback, right? These amazing things that they were doing, complex, very interesting from the perspective of academia because there is cool science that is going into that. And vibrotactile, you know, is one dimension, put a signal, you make it work, it happened. But it was not understood at the time, the importance of that specific feedback. And at the immersion, we push for that, not only in gaming, but also when we went into the mobile industry, that at the time there was nothing, non-existent, um, the closest that it got to, to have something was the pager motor, which was mm. translated for the pagers, the old pagers that used to exist, into cell phones. Right? This, uh, um, in the language of haptics, eccentric rotating mass motors that put a voltage and it spins and you get vibration out of it. So how do we use that and other type of actuators in order to generate haptic feedback in phones and why do you need that one? What, what is the use case that you have? So we work on identifying use cases that users could benefit from when having haptic feedback. And we started actually with um, cell phones that had keypads. Mm. And the first things was developing these ringtones or haptones, or haptic ringtones that would vibrate in, uh, <clears throat> in coordination with sound. When you receive a call, then you have this neat vibration coming through that and that follow into the use cases that we develop for um, touch screens with Samsung, LG, Nokia, uh, all these companies that at the beginning uh, saw the benefit of haptics um, early in the days. I, I remember in fact, I, I, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but the clients of immersion were LG and Samsung and they were so into haptics 
that even have, I would say, haptic works, wars of commercial saying, oh, haptic solution is the best. Yes. So they were so into that because they saw the benefit. Unfortunately, it was a differentiator for them. At the time. It was a differentiator for them in Korea, uh, and and we know that some most of these technologies that are coming into North America are first adopted in Asia, right? Like touch screen was adopted first in in Asia. It was many phones already had that technology, and later on it migrated to North America. Now uh, after. Uh, Google, uh, Samsung as well, we're putting that in North American phones is when it took off. But all the use cases that we were developing at the time uh, focus on the user experience of, of users, obviously, uh, navigating and having applications on cell phones. We developed many applications of that. Uh, D7, there was an old conference um, that our CTO at the time attended to and show many of these applications at the time, and we were working on that, and now it's commonplace, we have them in all cell phones. So I, I think that was uh, a key technology and technologies that we developed around the application of haptics in the mobile industry. And, and I think it's also something pivotal, like at the time, it changed not only the haptics industry in itself, but the way people just communicated. I love the, the fact that you mentioned the haptones, for example, it's such a cute name, but like such a powerful use case that at the end of the day created a lot of use cases yes. and interactions with users. And, and we saw that it was not only the industry that was benefiting, there was so much research that needed to be done that after that, industry and academia started looking more into the applications of this, like not just having one, single frequency, single magnitude, but different frequencies, multiple actuators. And we can see that now it's exploded to, to having applications of many kinds from gloves to vests to seats. <clears throat> Following the, the studies as well in academia and in industry that have been going on as to how to present that information to the users. And I think now we're in the middle of that and we're still exploring that because it's, it's so prevalent now, and there's so many applications that we still can have from that. It's not finalized. Um, yeah, I, I, at some point I made a, I just to remember probably because this was internal, the haptic cycle yes. of haptics that I still have it, but for a trademark reasons, I can show it. Yeah. But I have that, right? And I, I follow the industry. I see um, now vests, Biotactile devices, some of the force feedback devices that were for gaming are in this commonality are, are out there. Everybody knows about it. Best we're following globs and then some other technologies fall behind. But now this is where we're having the applications for this type of technologies. Uh, so you were asking about the key, some of the key cool technologies that we developed. Those were, were the ones. And then we were looking after that into other markets. We were looking actually at the time, which was also out of um time or it was not the appropriate time to launch that we call it the uh haptics in cell phone for advertisement right so having right. a third channel not just visual and audio but also adding the third layer which was haptics for this type of technologies let's pause here for a second because i think people maybe undermine the, the power of this one sentence right there i remember seeing this demo firsthand I don't think it was the rogue phone, you know, this very powerful phone, but it was probably another phone. And you told me a metric. I don't know if I'm allowed to share it, but it was related to the way that people will remember the content 
with that third layer outside of audiovisual? Uh, I actually don't remember, but we can bring some new research, right? Ah. The, the, the one that Margot Rakat, and maybe you, you already have it, and probably she already talked yes. about this on this podcast, where she was looking at, there is a phone, there is an app, there is haptic feedback. What happens when users are interacting with that? Right? Mm -hmm. Paper is out. And the neat thing about that is that she sees that having haptic feedback on a button on an app for purchasing purposes influence the purchasing decisions of the user, right? There Which has go. implications. Which is and, a dangerous metric to share well, with advertisers because people would put haptics everywhere. And, and she was looking at that from the perspective of ethics as well, right? Which is rightfully right. like, am I, uh, am I being targeted without consent on this, right? So that's a, a huge ethical implications, I know. But the, the, the other point that I want to make is that these uh, excellent researchers are looking at what are not just the benefit of haptics in, in performance metrics, but also influencing what matters to companies is purchasing something, right? Yep. And this is something that, uh, to my knowledge, never been done, never been studied. And I think this is hugely interesting because also in the past, it was very hard to justify haptics. Uh, we all know that it's been a an, nice an to have for the longest time. And when there are user studies, is that people don't notice an increase in performance. So the increase in performance might be marginal. Mm -hmm. But when you ask them these, um, subjective questions about how do they perceive the interaction with the device or the application, they always rate it higher than without haptic feedback. So there is this subconscious that goes in behavioral consequences. Yes, perception of that, that is hard to measure, right? But it can be identified through a, a set of questions. And now we have proof that it's actually been influencing the behavior of people. So how do we use this moving forward? Mm -hmm. uh, that's an, a huge question, and, and how can we use it that is not detrimental to the users, right? Not, it's, right. it's not just about uh, the... Can we, but also should we? <laughs> exactly, <clears throat> exactly, right? So uh, anyway, so there are other applications that I, we are also looking into. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to mention it quickly. Uh, hopefully I don't get into trouble, but if when you're doing... Uh, gambling or gaming online, right? Yeah. How do you use this information in order to help people um, spend the right amount of money in the application, right? Is there a, is there a way that haptics can be used in order to uh, influence mm -hmm. decision-making at the time they're gambling? Mm -hmm. That's a huge question that we need to answer, right? And 100%. nobody has done that. It could be one way or the other. <laughs> so and it can it, be used for wrong reasons as well as for good reasons. And right. I, I love that you're saying that. I think back to the advertising example that you give, I think it was this video of trailers for YouTube and how we could have phones that have specifically targeted haptic effects, but not just mapped on audio as we have in normal devices, but literally designed to arrive at a certain moment. We all know the boom in, since Inception trailer. I think every trailer has this moment of boom <laughs> in the to doom for Netflix and stuff like that. And so if you're watching a video without haptics effect versus one with haptics, 
Will you remember the trailer more? Would you want to see that movie more? Would you want to buy the product being shown in the advertising more? And that curve, that behavioral influence is important to measure ethically, like you said, because if that influences in a way that is only done for marketing purposes, well, it's like inventing the pop-up. The decision of doing that, the inventor regrets it because in those houses being used wrongly. Exactly. And those haptic effects are not just for touch devices. Now we know that it's moving into XR and more, I would say, commercially free spaces that don't yet have been poisoned by advertising. So right. unlocking these research data points and those metrics can sometimes be used wrongly. So I, I love the fact that you're thinking about this responsibly first. Oh, for sure. Uh, well, again, like we were saying, Innovobot premise as well is to do good things for society, right? Um, that doesn't, like, we want to make business, we want to be uh, successful as a company, but we also have this other metric, which is responsible to our customers, responsible to our users. And that's something that we need to investigate clearly. And that's why we're having collaborations uh, with researchers in order to look into that. Uh, but going back to the advertisement, at, at the time we didn't have this idea, obviously because advertising was so um, successful, adding that third layer, uh, we thought it could be even more successful because it would attract more users to see the advertisement, right? It was just, but at the technological level, we created this platform that was ready to be deployed in that way. But it was too early, I think, for the time. It, it, people saw that, but there was, it was hard for the people that would implement this to take it and, and, and run with it. And I don't know if it was the only reason or one of the reasons, but we were developing this for the tools that we have and the platforms that we have access to, which was Android, right? But we didn't have access to the other platform because this was pre uh, Taptic Engine era. So you can see how early this was. And <clears throat> they were always asking, do you have solutions for both platforms? Uh, we're like, well, no, and they said, okay, so it's hard because they want to deploy entirely to everywhere, right? Just one platform doesn't make sense to them or, or, or it didn't make sense to them for whatever reason. For having this access to both platforms would be beneficial. We didn't have access to that. Now I think the conditions have changed that you can develop applications for both platforms and still have that haptic feedback. You can, you can make it now. It is possible. Uh, and I, again, so there is, there is this platform for haptics in mobile, but I'm not talking about just having a platform in iOS or in Android. I'm talking about a haptic platform that has a common language, right? Agnostic. Haptics is supported in both platforms, so we can do something with it, right? Um, and this is something that we didn't have in the past. So anyways, it's hard to explain the platform in, in, in just a few seconds, but the way I see it is that in order for, for us to have successful products or applications, we need to have this commonality. Yes. If it's not across industry, it's, it's going to be very hard. And different players need to support the same kind of the same things in order for haptic products to be built on top of them, on, on top of these standards. Right? And, yeah. and this is not a standard yet, mm -hmm. but they provide a solution to talk to the hardware and applications can build that on top to talk down, which is the, the definition of a of a platform, right? So you, you reuse over and over and create new applications on top of that. So for me, the haptic platform for mobile is Android and iOS, and you're building things on top of it. Love that. It's a tool to, to develop applications. Yep. 
That makes a lot of sense. Um, that's definitely a vision I think, you know, people in haptics see um, uh, because it's important, right? Like everything that we do is great, but in terms of like the most important part, it's like it's the people using the devices, having the experience. I mean, however we kind of get there um, is kind of like magic behind the scenes. But yeah, the most ideal world is that vision of like you develop and it's this kind of like unison experience. But I want to kind of like touch back on something you said earlier um, relating to, it's kind of like tying to the standards. Like where do you see some of the kind of like biggest challenges of that? So, you know, building to that world and where do you think maybe some of the past um, developments, especially from like the academic point of view are helping lead towards that or were like critical pivotal moments that kind of like helped build towards that or building towards that? I think for haptic products to uh, proliferate more in industry, uh, we need to have that sense of collaboration. Uh, it's been very hard for protective reasons that we know of that happened in the past. Uh, but I think collaboration is the one of the ways that are going to get us further and create new uh, markets or product offerings. Uh, if we try to do it all by one on our own, single companies, it's going to be hard. The investment is higher. The time to market is higher. If we collaborate with people that have different expertise, it would be simpler to bring everything together. And then that's the other thing that we do at Innovabot. We have tried to collaborate with people under this open innovation model. It's so important for us. Uh, we want to accelerate bringing technologies to market. And we believe that's one of the ways, like <clears throat> a company X, well, not X, because now there is an X company, company Y can have <laughs> an idea, an idea of a product and they can develop certainly all their expertise inside if they have the money to do it. But if they don't, it's going to take them a lot of time and a lot of investment in order to do that. But if they collaborate with some other companies that have that expertise, it will accelerate this um, development to market. And I think that's very hard because everybody wants to keep their intellectual property, their know-how. But at the same time, uh, we need to, to see that balance between doing it all on our own and having a product that is going to take a long time to market, as opposed to having something now which hit the market faster and make us successful sooner. We are having some success stories with that, with the, the uh, few collaborations that we had over the last year with some of our partners. I think it's possible. We just need to find the right balance in uh, in all these conditions. Of what do we want to give? What do we want to keep? But it's possible. Uh, it, it is when we talk about win-win situation. But it, it, it it's kind of if I'm talking about win-win situation, probably I'm coming with a big hammer to say I'm gonna get the most out of this. But no, we really talk about that. Uh, we want to have other companies succeed. We want to have more products in the market that more people can't join and make more product offerings. Competition is good. So we, we want to foster that among different in, in, uh, companies to bring more products to market. Does it make sense? Did I actually yeah. ask the question? <laughs> <laughs> you did. 
did. You did. A lot. Yeah, no, that I, I, it was a broad question because um, I wanted to cover a few things. And I think I wanted to take this to like a standards level. So it's like, um, you know, you've got amazing companies within the haptics industry forum. There's tons that do a lot of different things. Some are like super competitive. Some are vastly different. How do you as the president? That's a huge role. Um like steer the the ship in a way that helps kind of foster that collaboration because there's very real risk of you know people get into the like you know bucket or like hide in their own little you know kind of caves of like this is my space and I don't want to share anything yeah how do you foster that how do you plan to like grow this to make sure that this vision of the future happens I I think one of the we as I said originally he was created to be a way to get standards uh, in the market. Uh, to some effect, it has achieved that with the MPEG that some companies participated in. Uh, I think that's great progress that has happened in the in the past, uh, and hopefully we're going to see something in the next few months, a year, that it, it's going to be something that everybody can use to generate haptic effects, to play haptic effects. So that's, that's great. But it takes a long time right, to get a standard body involved. And, and as I was saying, I think there is an intermediary step that we can have that can get us closer to that point, but without going through the entire process of making it a standard, something that everybody can agree on to work together to bring haptic products to, to the market. Uh, we're getting tractions uh, about that with um, at HIF, Haptic Industry Forum. Uh, recently, we we have um, welcomed Dell uh, as, a, as a one of our members. Uh, we also have Logitech that are looking into creating haptic products. They already have some, they have history of creating some of them, but the, the fact that they're joining is because they see a benefit on collaborating with other companies in order to create this type of uh, commonalities, languages, uh, whatever you want to call it, matrix, if you want, right? So they, they want to join and collaborate because it's going to make it easier for them as well. When they said, I want to have something like this, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm not putting the words in their mouth, but <clears throat> if they want to have something, it's easier to say, I want this, and this is the way you're going to tell me that is good or not. Because right now it's very hard. Like, And once they tell them that, they, the other people that are bringing these technologies to these OEMs need to know how to do that. Right? So we need to create all this information, all this literature, all these experiments, all these methodologies, processes that they can use in order to talk the same language. And, and I think HIF can help in that. And if the more people participate, the more things we can bring to the market faster. And, and I think that's the key point of HIF at this point. We certainly, we will try to keep pushing for some standards and we will participate on that but we'll also try to get this other level that in the future can be brought to a standard level if, if we want it or companies are interested in that. That's awesome. Really appreciate that. That kind of ties perfectly into our next section on the future. I'm gonna hand it to Manu. Yes. So that's where we get spicy. <laughs> How do you see the haptic technology impacting our day-to-day -day lives in the next, let's say, decade? Uh, when we were at Immersion, uh, the people that we work with, we always said, haptics is going to happen one way or another. Right? People uh, recognize 
the importance of haptic feedback in different scenarios. I think there's no question about that. It's just <clears throat> from the company perspective is how do we measure that benefit? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some use cases that are finding into industry that say, yes, we need haptic feedback and they're putting into that. So I, I think more products are gonna come. Um, the more we do, and, and this is also a tricky question because the more we collaborate remotely, the more haptic feedback we're gonna need. But it's hard for me to say like, oh, it's gonna be emotional. I'm gonna be able to transmit my sense. It might not be at that level, but some cues that we're gonna receive from each other, right? Through some sort of haptic feedback around our body. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't have to be necessarily vibrotactile. It could be some other type of feedback. We have seen many other technologies, cool technologies that are coming out. But I think this is going to expand, uh, like we see la- now in the laptop industry, more and more laptops are coming out with haptic touchpads. Three, four, five years ago, this was not the case, but now it is. Like The, the fact that Microsoft opened or came up with their own laptop show that they saw the importance of that, right? Apple had the same thing, but that's a closed system. That's fine. But Microsoft opened it up. Then that suddenly anybody can create a, a haptic laptop because it has the support, again, of a platform, right? So it's there. We can use, we can integrate it into that. And there's going to be more people or more companies joining into that effort. In the in the automotive industry, there is still this question about the haptic, the, the, the future of the car and how interactive it's going to be. Are we going to be driving or not? These different levels that are for autonomy. But I think we have seen that there is interest from companies to develop haptic systems that do simple as simple things as signalizing some sort of alert, a danger to the user through seats, belts, or other type of contacts in the body, but also interacting with surfaces in the car. I think that's another area that is going to be super um, interesting to develop haptic solutions. And it might not be just pure vibrotactile. We talk about this, the different dimensions of haptics uh, in the past is like one of them is the formation. And I think that is coming. There are some cool companies that are developing very exciting technologies that will, with the proper development, are going to be the right solution for this type of applications in cars for the formable surface. Uh, We already have the friction um, technologies, electrostatic, ultrasound. I believe it's been challenging for those companies, for those type of technologies to find the light of a day in in industry, in applications. Um, But I, I think they could be used depending on who wants to invest on that? It, yeah. And I go back to the example of um, Apple, right? Like we knew that vibrotactile was all the time already established in the market, but it was not prevalent. And they saw the opportunity, developed their own technology, extremely high level, high definition. More expensive. Right? <laughs> More expensive at the time. Right now, I don't know how much it, it could be yeah. or how costly it could be, but at the time it was expensive and they were able to, to do that because they saw the benefit. Right, and I see the same thing combining electro electrostatic with vibration to show or give more a, a better user experience in surfaces interacting with surfaces could be huge. It's just a matter of who's 
going to be the first to invest on that type of solutions. Uh, it's hard to say, but combining all these different technologies that are getting more mature now, I think will open up a lot of um, experiences, new experiences and use cases in cars and even in, in, in desktop laptop computers that we haven't seen. So I love, I love what you're saying because it comes from the place of user centricity. I'll, I'll let you finish your point. No, 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 it's fine. So I, I think that's in the more, uh, in the closer in time with the technologies that we see, but there might be other technologies that we don't even know that exist or there somebody's working in the lab right now and we might see that in the <laughs> years time, right? So that's, there are other Isn't things. that somebody called Manuel Cruz? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, we, we always said, if somebody's thinking about something, likely another hundred people are thinking about the same thing, right? Yes. There might be multiple people developing that. Uh, but yeah, I think that there's cool technologies that come out. Um, you, you were talking about this uh, in the future. Is it going to be 10 years? I don't know. We mm -hmm. talk about um, uh, neural stimulation in the past, remember? We have these big plans. I still believe that that's going to happen. It's not going to be in the next little while. It's going to take time because there's a lot of research that need to go into that. I know a lot of um, product development that needs to go into that, but mm -hmm. I think it's going to happen. And it's just a matter of time, like investment on that type of area. I'm not, not talking about direct, Neural stimulation, like um, um, Elon Musk company. Yeah, I think it could happen, but it, I'm, I'm talking about of technologies that are going to be less invasive or semi-invasive, um, and it's not going to be directed at the brain. It's going to be directed at some other parts of the body. Yes, uh, that's we know that there are uh, technologies. Uh, I think we discussed this type of papers when we were at immersion. One of them yeah. was this sound, right? That beams directly into your brain, the somatosensory area, the specific uh, frequencies, and then they ask users, what do you feel in your hands? And they say, oh, I feel something here. Oh, I feel something there. And then make a user study and say, yeah, most people, if I, we excited this region of the brain, then they feel something in their hands. So you can see there is a path to some sort of technology that is going to be used non-invasively in order to create haptic feedback. And I'm not talking this specifically, but some other technologies that are not necessarily ultrasound, but we know that electrical stimulation, but also other type of stimulation with light and that can stimulate certain neurons uh, can also happen. So, but I, I see that in the future. And I think that's where we're going to go eventually because having uh, there is a limit to the type of sensations that electrotactile, uh, sorry, um, electromechanical device can generate. Right. We know or we can see nowadays that for the general public, not everybody, but for the general public, I think interactions with free hands is super important because <clears throat> working with gloves or other type of devices holding in your hand is very unnatural. And there are multiple issues when working for a long period of time on these applications like this. And so free hands is super important. Uh, having wearables in other parts of the body might be nice, but if you don't feel something in your hands, which is the primary way to explore the world in virtual environment in XR, I think it's going to be difficult. So there are technologies that I believe are going to be developed in order to feel something in your hands, your fingertips, without actually having anything there. And that's what I think is going to be the future. Um, and it's going to happen eventually, but there is still a lot of research that needs to go into that in order to get to that place. 
But I think the time is right now because all these tools that we have, the understanding of uh, neuroscience on one side and the development of AI tools that we can use in order to push this research and development towards these type of applications in haptics. Mm -hmm. Manuel, I love how you answer all my questions by literally pinking into all the next question that I have. <laughs> so you basically killed four questions in one, and I love that because now I can dig into it. <laughs> so you mentioned a few different things, and I want to kind of expand a little bit of your mind on this if I can and see how we can maybe help the, the audience understand some of the subjects better. So initially, some of the points that you mentioned is that on the more short-term future, we can see many applications for haptics in different industries. You mentioned specifically automotive, which I think has been also very transformative for the haptics industry. A lot of discoveries have been happening there. Um, it's very interesting to see as entertainment becoming more, becoming more of a horizontal industry, because even in automotive, if we don't know if we're going to have self-driving car or not, entertainment will be part of the experience of driving a car. Whether you're driving it or not, you still have dashboards nowadays. You still have the passenger experience. So developing haptics for feeling what the car is feeling, for understanding some of the element of the car and being able to even interact with the car without leaving your eyes from the road has been something that the XR industry has been focusing a lot on. And then you mentioned the multimodality of haptic experiences. Most people, even in the beginning of your career, were thinking about some specific aspect and not the rest. But when you combine vibrotactile, temperature, pressure, you get into more, I would say, close to human experience experiences that are never just one-sided. And then you tapped into what I call the, the discovery of the platforms and all the different products that exist. Apple has been a closed ecosystem, but has been so transformative for haptics. Now we see companies like Sony, Microsoft, using the word haptics in their branding, like the DualSense camera, uh, sorry, uh, controller, which has been transformative for a lot of users. People that I used to say that I work in the haptic industry would not understand what I mean. And now you say haptics and gamers know what you talk about. Mm -hmm. They didn't call it haptics before, but now they know what the name is. So a lot of people are even coming out of school right now, very young jumping into the haptic industry, which yes. is beautiful to see because it's continuing to grow through entertainment. Yep. But there are so many aspects of that. There is the adult industry that we also explored and how we can help wellness, personal wellness, but multi-people wellness. And with COVID happening very recently, the, the remote application for haptic to get people closer together is such a beautiful thing to explore. And finally, the subject that I love the most, neuroscience, the future of BCI, the future of XR with BCI and haptics and how all this convergence of tech can enable superhuman powers, but also very social interactions and centric uh, around the users. So, so thank you for covering so much different subjects because I think whenever we ask this question and no shame to our other participants, it's always around just what we think about the haptic industry becoming, but you really thought about this holistically for the world and how humanity can benefit from that. So last question for you, with all of that being so many different possibilities and um, direction we could take, what is your personal desire as a human being, as a personal user of haptic, not as a director or president, what is something you would like to see in 10 years or in 15 years or 25 years? Yeah. So I, I think we discussed this in the past, uh, you and I, because we were 
uh, I was fortunate to work with you in the past. Oh, come on. <laughs> these, uh, these discussions about having non-invasive neural interfaces that will allow you to feel something, right? That yes. can, can also move into the discussion of ethical questions. But <laughs> set aside that and just focus on the technology development for now, that if you can have one device that can give you haptic feedback to your hands for all devices, like if I'm in my laptop, I'm touching something and I got this communication with my wearable device that tells me I'm doing something in, with my laptop. Then I, I switch to my phone and the phone is no longer going to have the capabilities that we have now, but it's going to be transmitting signals to my neural interface that is going to be telling me that my interactions are happening or are developing a certain way, right? Or if I switch to my AR device, then I'm going to have these interactions in my hands as well. And it's going to be communicated to this magical wearable device that is going to be talking to my neural interface that is going to be producing something in my hands. I say, I'm going to my car and I sit there and then I will have this neural interface communicating through my body when I'm in the car telling me that something is happening and I'm feeling that in different parts of my body. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what I, what I would like to get to in 10 years. Like that, that's to me would be the personalized experience that follows you through the different medium that you're interacting. One single device or a few devices, right? Mm -hmm. There will not be need to have that integrated in the into the devices, but there needs to be these, again, protocols, platforms that need to talk to each other in order to come to this place. Love that. Uh, maybe it's very sci-fi oriented or thinking. I think it is possible. Not anymore, right? There are many things that can tell you that that is going to be possible. There are many developments in academia, in uh, neuroscience that are talking about enablement of people that have lost sensations in the body that they're able to do this again, uh, that have unfortunately lost limbs in their body that are able to recreate the sensations that they feel. All this is possible now to me, it's just a question of how to bring that to able people and yes. in a safe way, in an ethical way that we can present this information or this type of sensations that make it more immersive. Uh, and, and we know this is possible already, right? We have cochlear implants. Uh, it's predominant that people use this and they enhance, in a sense, their sense of hearing because they unfortunately have lost that and it's super beneficial. Now, can we use that for enabled able people and is it beneficial to them and in what context and i think that's something that we need to think about and have long conversations of whether we want to do that but it can be done also for haptics right as i was telling you about this study or there are some other multiple studies that they enable people to feel something uh, without actually touching it so how long is it going to take to do that and and we did that type of experiments back in the day. So we know it's possible. We know it can be done. Uh, it's just a matter of when it's going to get there and and how I believe it can achieve high fidelity, but it's still far from that. But I think it's possible. And that, that's what I see personally. That's what I that's one of my passions. And I, I've been educating myself a bit more on, on these areas in order to see what is possible and what is not and, and find make it the possibility <laughs> find the ecosystem and the people and the technologies that can help us get there faster right? that is if only one people or one person or one company works on that but creating an ecosystem 
that can bring us to that to that future. <clears throat> I, I'm not saying that we're, we're gonna perhaps not use other type of technologies, but I think, or I want this to be the predominant mm -hmm. type of technology that would exist in the future. But we'll see, that's just my dream. I think it's a beautiful vision and thank you for sharing it. Um, last question for you, where can we find more about Manuel Cruz? How can we follow you? Uh, I'm sharing right now, I'm asking for our followers oh, on YouTube. Yeah, well, I have, uh, I'm mostly active on LinkedIn for professional reasons. I also have a handle in Twitter where I mainly follow people in academia for neuroscience, uh, mostly, and business, um, which actually don't know, don't remember my handle in Twitter. We'll share I, it on the Haptics Club community. Yes, so on that Twitter. would be good. It's Manny, <laughs> Manny Cruz, I believe. Anyways, I can send you that. Um, yes. Yes, so those are the main uh, the main places where you can follow me, and I'll be publishing some of these ideas in the near future about what I'm I'm, I'm talking about here, uh, the state of haptics industry. I have that map out, which you need to finalize it, put it out there. My thinking about platforms, all this, uh, and my thinking about the future, which is we just uh, we were discussing a few minutes ago. So yeah, all all that coming up and we're also i'm also collaborating with different academia partners here in canada and in europe and hopefully you will hear from us as well soon uh, in the form of talks or papers academic papers um, so that that's also coming in the next uh, few months amazing being active is very important for me to be in academia uh, that's uh, being in contact with young students is super important talking mm -hmm. to them full of energy, professors with amazing ideas, many things that they want to do, and so little resources, but um, putting thought into what we want to do, it's it's been always important. That's what I've been uh, very involved with academia, and perhaps sometimes collaborating with them, but other times just participating in helping them in different ways, uh, mostly on the organization of conference, giving my little sense, my, my little um, contribution, but uh, and I hope to to keep doing this, and hopefully, I'll find ways to collaborate with them more in the future because I think it's important to disseminate this knowledge and and get everybody to participate in this wonderful industry that we're going to create. And it's there, yes. but it needs to grow. It needs to be bigger. So hopefully, we'll get there at some point. Amen. Well said. Well said. So yeah, definitely check out um, what their team is up to, doing some really cool stuff. Check out the Haptics Industry Forum. Um, and yeah, we'll link all that details. All the details are below. They're right here. Just click them. Just go check it out. But we've got to wrap up. It's been such an amazing episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, for anyone listening, um, be sure to check out thehapticsclub.com. That's where we'll have all the juicy details. We've got the blog posts. Um, you can link to all the Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you want to listen to um, your favorite episodes. That's where we'll be. Your favorite hapticians write blog posts for us, um, sharing their knowledge, um, which is exactly what Manuel said. So important. It's critical that we share um, our knowledge and we just proliferate it as much as we possibly can so that every person grows from people in you know elementary school who we are the future um, to folks who have been in the space for a long time and still just want to absorb as much as possible and share um, for anyone who wants haptic club swag because you need the you need the shirt you need the swag it's it's getting cold you're gonna need a sweatshirt um, check out our shop slash shop 
And it's just another big thanks to our sponsor, Smart Haptics, their leading industry event. There are very few haptic events in the space, um, so definitely check them out. They've got an event next week. It is smart-haptics.com. Um, and of course, our friends at Gruas, uh, they're doing amazing things in the automotive space, one thing that Manuel mentioned. So check out gruas.de and catch all the other amazing things we're doing, thehapticsclub.com. Um, we just appreciate everyone for joining in and continue to support haptics. It's an amazing industry. Thanks, everybody. So the next episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. It was great talking to you. Thank you.